This is a psalm about one man's ascent to God, if you will, seeking God's presence for the forgiveness of sin in his life. Because it is that, it brings many issues before us. And quite frankly, in these eight verses, the psalmist catches the essence of living the life of faith in God, of believing in Jesus Christ even, even before it was written before Christ ever came. It was written from the perspective of who God has always been and God will always be and where God is calling all of us to be too. When you think about sin in our life these days, I realize it's a difficult topic. The world in which we live and the communities that surround us are filled with various opinions about what sin is, about what sin is not. The world is filled with ideas about who God is and who God is not. Many times those opinions are not always formed by Scripture. Many times they are formed by whom we want God to be. Or they are formed out of our great sense of need. But the perspective that we really need to develop in our lives is a perspective that comes from the Scriptures where we study and learn in a process over the years of what it means to be a child of God and what it means to be created in the image of God. It's a place where we go to understand who God is. It is called, and I believe rightly so, that the Scriptures are the self-revelation of God. They are really the only objective self-revelation of God that we have other than the life and death of Jesus Christ. And it is in that life and death of Jesus Christ that the Scriptures are vivified and made true. They are brought to life, held out to all of us that we might apprehend with our sensibilities what it is like for God to be human and so that we might seek to be that kind of human ourselves as we walk through the annals of our lives. In this particular text that we are reading today, the psalmist is crying out to God. It is the reality of sin that set him to God, crying out for forgiveness, taking note of the fact that as he cries out about sin, that we start thinking about sin. And quite frankly, when some people sit about, start thinking about sin, they go to a really dark place. Some people go to a place where they just get consumed by the thought and their own realities of their own shortcomings in life. They get to the place where when they think about sin, all they can think about is guilt. All they can think about is the fact that I've not done all that I could or that I've done things I should not. Quite frankly, they get to thinking about it so much it makes them feel so guilty that they walk away from the idea of sin without availing themselves for the remedy of sin. God never intended that. But he does intend for us to understand that we have a sinful nature. And in fact, sin is so pervasive that it has, if you will, infected all of our culture and all of humankind. Everyone does not see it that way. I was reminded again at annual conference of that fact uh, when one uh, woman of great renown and who has a lot to say about how to minister to the spiritual life of children stood up and gave her introductory statements about the topic of how children are in, can be in relationship with God and can actually teach us adults how to do the same, which was not a topic uh, that, that frightened me. But then she made two or three statements, one of which just... Um, blew me away when she said, uh, pretty much a quote, 
that Augustine had the view of God that we were all sinners. And she went on to say that that's not a correct view. And I don't know how you stand up in a room filled with about 1,200 people and say, time out. We have a guest speaker on campus who doesn't know the scriptures. But uh, I sat there and started squirming in my seat and hoped that she would get through with the introduction and get on to her point, which I appreciated her point. She just didn't have to get there from where she started. And that's the problem with sin. Some people are so overwhelmed by the largeness of sin and how impossible it seems to overcome all the sin in our life that they just start disregarding sin as a real event in our lives. They get to the point where either they're so guilt-ridden by it that they can't stand the thought and think about it, or they're so filled with God's grace they don't worry about it anymore. It's irrelevant in their lives that they just kind of push it to the side and they just live their lives kind of in the middle lane. Both of those extremes are wrong. Both of those streams rob us of the full understanding of the scriptures and the nature of sin and its pervasiveness in our lives. They rob us, if you will, of the victory that God has planned for us through faith in Jesus Christ. They rob us of a full and healthy understanding of what it means to feel guilty about sin and to know it should not be there. And then the joy that we get when we confess the sin, we Shout it out to God, and God forgives our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You see, you can't have one without the other. So people vacillate according to their personality types, quite frankly, and sometimes because of what they've been taught, quite frankly. In the last 70 or 80 years in our country, quite frankly, we have so reduced the idea of sin that people abhor it. And sometimes it's seldom mentioned in our pulpits across the land anymore. And that's wrong. That's wrong. We don't preach so that people feel guilty. We preach so that people might be made clean. We preach so that people might experience what the psalmist is yearning for in the passage. It does us good to feel bad about the sin in our life because it moves us forward to a deeper place, a better place, where the sin is different. You say, well, is there always going to be sin? No. Someday you'll pass on. And then you won't have sin anymore or it's temptation. Someday, however, I fully expect for the sin that you struggle with today to be different than the sin you struggled with yesterday. That is victory in Jesus. That is progress in faith. That is biblical living for Christ. Do you ever get to the point where you stand up on the mountaintop and shout, Look at me. I'm all cleaned up from sin. As soon as you do, you're confessing a sin of pride. Yeah, it's insidious the way sin works, right? You have to be so very careful. But the reality is you don't have to be that careful. You just have to be watchful. It's going to surround you, but you have something you can do about it. And this psalmist reminds us of that in this straightforward passage. The first thing he does is he cries out, and he says, God, be attentive to my call. In other words, he's crying out to God because he believes that God is listening to him. He believes that God hears him. He believes that God cares. It goes on in the text to say, you know, if you mark iniquities, if you hold all our sin against us, who can stand, Lord? We're all falling short of your glory, and that's true. But he says there is forgiveness in you that you may be respected, feared, according to the translation you read. There is forgiveness at the hand of 
about in the face of our sin, if you will, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom we believe. And then he goes on to pronounce his faith. Even in the sense of his darkness and despair over his sin, he says in verse 5, but I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word do I hope, for his word shall relieve me of my guiltness. His word shall relieve me of my sense of despair. His word shall deliver me once again into the presence of God with a fresh and a new sense. That's what he's waiting for, and he believes it's going to happen. Because after all, the character of God is to be forgiving. The character of God is to care about us. The character of God is to listen for us. And then he goes on to say, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, or there is a love that is steadfast, according to the interpretation you're reading. It is the kind of love that does not wear out, does not give out, does not give up. It is the kind of love that is a model for God and should be what Christians are known for in the world in which we live. Because you see in him, he says, at the end of verse 7, with him there is abundant, abundant redemption. You can't out God's forgiveness as long as you're seeking his presence. Oh, you can try to forget you haven't sinned, and that'll get you in trouble. Or you can be a worrywart about every little sin you do. You know, I remember somebody getting excited one day when I told them we were playing golf. And I think I've told this story before, but it goes something like this. In one particular town where I served, uh, the local neighborhood of boys invited me to play golf with them. They were all Baptists. One of them was a former Methodist who converted to Baptist. He was obviously lost along the way, but he still was a golfer. So they invited me to go and play golf with him, and one of them was finally asking me he, the day before we were, I was supposed to play with him for the first time, and he said, uh, when we go to play golf, we have a kind of habit of making little bets among ourselves. I said, you do? He said, yes, you do. He said, will that be all right with you, strange preacher man that now lives on our street? Can you go and play golf with us while we're having a little game? I said, well, is everybody free to join in the game? And he said, well, of course. And I said, well, good. As long as we're not getting crazy here, that sounds like fun. Sounds like real competition. So we went and played golf. Sometime later, not too much longer, several months maybe, maybe close to a year, the word began to circulate. I was now playing golf regularly with these Baptists, teaching them the game as only a Methodist should do for but to Baptist friends. And one day a man came to me and said, I hear you enjoy playing golf with our, your Baptist brothers. I said, yes, I do. He said, I also hear you're gambling. I said, gambling? He said, yeah, you know, playing for money. I said, well, that's not gambling. He says, what do you mean? I said, I already know I'm going to win. <laughs> and he kind of laughed. And he kind of looked at me kind of strange. And I said, oh, yeah, they play for a little money. They actually trade money every other week because the bet's pretty even. That's the way it's meant to be. I said, These are, this is among friends, and it's not anybody's livelihood we're talking about here. But I said, it's not much more of a gambling, really, than Wall Street or where our stock market is or where our retirement funds is. Life is a gamble, and nobody gets all that serious about it except for the competition. And now, if you're sitting out there today, you may have jumped pages on me. You may have already been on there. Oh, my God, i got to pray for my preacher. He's a gambler. He's addicted. No, not really. I'm addicted to winning, whether I'm fighting the devil or, the, or my 
competitors in golf or anything else, I do love to win. I love to win in life, too. I love to win in faith, and I love for people to be victorious in faith. I also know that riding that golf cart, as word spread throughout that little country club, that I was riding one day with a man that I didn't know from another town. He asked me, he said, so you're out here playing all-time golf with these guys? I said, yep. He says, I don't think I've ever known a preacher that played golf with the kind of guys you're playing golf with on Saturday mornings. I said, yeah, that's a little different. He says, you know, I haven't been in church for years. I said, really? I said, what church did you go to last? He said, well, the last time in another town I went to church in a Methodist church. I said, yeah, Methodist church is a good place to go. I'm one of those myself. He said, well, I just haven't been in a long time. And I said, well, you know, you can fix that starting next week if you wanted to. I saw him about a month later, and he had been every Sunday since to that church. Several years later when I left, he was a faithful member and serving Christ to that church again. Part of the reason he did that is because he decided that crazy preacher was a normal person. There should be a method to our madness if we're going to spread the gospel with an explosion. We can't sit on who we really are and be afraid of what everyone else thinks. We have to use the gifts that God has given us in every way in order to reach out to some that we might reach them. You reach men a certain way, you reach women a certain way, you reach youth a certain way, you reach children a certain way. You want to do it in the kind of way that's best and upright, and you never want to be fooled about what you're doing. You never want to be fooled about what you're doing or why you're doing it. But this guy found, this guy, this psalmist, found relief in the hands of God. Now, when we think about that, the reason is that he understood the character of God. Now I want you to jump from there. The character of God is behind the essence of God. And since we are made in the image of God, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and I want to read you these verses. These verses can't be read too much. They can't be, they shouldn't be forgotten. They need to be in your, in your face and in your nose and in your mouth and in your ears and in your heart. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man, or humankind really, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Our goal in life is to be returned to the image of God that has been stamped upon every soul that is born in this world. In fact, it is stamped upon every soul that is unborn in this world. It is stamped upon the womb when a child is within a woman. It is stamped on them the image of God before he's ever born and breathed earth's air. We are God's children. We may have been aborted. We may have been destroyed, but we are God's child from the moment we are conceived. That's what I believe. I could be wrong, but I doubt it, at least on that point. You see, returning to the image of God is what this whole thing of salvation is about. Returning to the image of God that we're created to be. Now, that image is always going to be marred. It's going to have a tendency to sin. I can remember the day when things had gotten out of hand on the golf course, and I had a little short putt to make us just kill the other team. My partner could hardly wait to make a putt he knew I'd never miss. I did. And when I missed it, the guy whose team benefited looked up at me right quickly, looked at me, and I just smiled. 
Yes, I missed it on purpose. Never forget who you are and whose image you bear, whatever you're doing. doesn't matter what you're doing. Don't ever forget it because you were made to be the image of God on earth. And it is through that image of God in you that the explosion of the gospel will occur. Now I want to talk about Rebecca. This is the second half of the sermon. You know what makes Rebecca so special? First of all, any woman who would agree to marry Bob. I mean, what a treasure she is, right? What a treasure the woman is. But really the treasure for Rebecca is not in what she can do, but who she has become. It is in what she has done for God's creation because the image of God has been stamped and restamped upon her heart and upon her mind. The reason we honor her today as a servant of God is not just for 27 years of service, but it's because of the woman she has grown to become. I remember in my early year and a half or so when I was here, maybe two years, I've lost track now as time has gone on, how much of a struggle Rebecca was going through in her life with one of her children that she loves so dearly. And I watched intently and I listened with my heart broken with hers often as she went through her struggles. Although she rarely complained about it, she would tell us for prayer. She would tell us what was going on. But she never beat it to death and she never lost hope. I remember being remarkably impressed with this woman's love, her loving kindness, if you will, her steadfast love for her child in the face of difficult days. I remember how the love of her child for her held on to her when the child couldn't hold on to anything else. I remember how from that time as I've watched her through the years that that is the way Rebecca always is. First of all, like God, she listens. That's why youth come to her. That's why they came to her after they leave the youth group. Because in her ministry to the youth, they would know that when they went to talk to Rebecca, you would get this smile. You would get this sense of love and concern from a person who would not judge you for whatever you had done. Who would not run and tell off on you to someone else. Someone who would not okay your wayward living, so to speak, as we often experience as teenagers, but someone who would instead encourage you to be a better you, to more reflect the image of God. When you go to talk to Rebecca, you have her full attention, like you have with few others. It's hard to find that in human beings in our world today. She lived it out, and she lived it out with a grace that was truly amazing to me. You see, she bears the image of God in the life that she lives. She's a forgiving person. A person who listens. She has a steadfast love for her church, for her youth that she's in, been working with all these years, for the people of this congregation, for her family, for life in general. When she was diagnosed with cancer, I watched closely because it was a time of great threat for her. I watched her walk through chemo. I've watched her sit through it all. And you know what I've seen? The same image of God that I've seen everywhere else. 
person who lives with hope, not only for others, but for herself. Because you see, she's cried out to God and she knows in God's hands is her life. She believes in the redemptive power of God in circumstantial events, through prayer, through God's powerful interaction in our lives, and through the normal course of everyday actions that people have between each other. And because of that, she lives with patience, waiting for the presence of God to fully heal her, waiting for God's presence to interact in her, the lives of those she loves most in her family and in her church family. She lovingly waits on youth to mature, knowing that they're not there yet and they're not supposed to be. She lovingly waits upon those who almost dismiss her at times because she's such a servant, but she never complains. Never have I heard her complain. So she lives with trust in the God of her salvation and in the person that she's going to become because she knows as long as she's alive, she's still becoming. And I see it in her over and over again. And so she has hope. I remember the change in her as her doctor daughter began to be victorious. I remember at a point when it almost seemed like everybody was willing to give up and just admit that her daughter couldn't possibly not recover from this difficulty that she struggled with. I remember it being discussed about how much we could continue to help. I even was advised by someone, the church just can't keep helping. And I think if I remember right, I told the person who told me that, I said, well, has Rebecca given up? And he said, well, no. I said, well, then neither have we. And what happened in the end was redemption. A life that was saved. A child of God that was born afresh and anew. And from her, the birth of more children. Grandchildren. What came from her was the essence of the reflection of the image of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Rebecca's not perfect. Right, Rebecca? Right. And she's blushing, thinking, man, I hope he gets through with this quickly. <laughs> but you need to know that what God has done in her and continues to do in her, God wants to do in each of us and to continue to do in each of us until we leave this earth. You need to know that's the plan. The way the gospel explodes is when a lot of little faces of Jesus are out there amidst the people baking cookies in the oven and handing them to a prisoner and telling them that they love them. They're in the hands of those people who walk across the street to visit their neighbor. Have I used up your chicken eating time? Yep, I have. You know, I just want you to know all of that because as remarkable as Rebecca is, there are other remarkable people in our midst too who have done the same thing. And that is the glory of being a Christian. Not for us, but for the God who allows us to be used in the same way that he was used by God. That's the life that we've been given. If you're here today and you struggle with who is Jesus and who is God and perhaps you've got all kinds of junk running through your heart and in your mind, perhaps you've been told so many confusing tales and perhaps you've seen so many confusing witnesses of God and the lack of God in people's lives who call themselves Christians that you're just not for sure if it's real. I would like to introduce you to Rebecca. She will convince you that God is real. 
And she would probably say very little. Just watch her. The life that she lives reflects the God of faith in whom she believes. If you're here today and you don't know that, life's too short, trust me, to go on without Christ. We offer Christ to you as we stand today. You need a community as well as you need Christ. And just as Rebecca has walked in this faith community, God invites any of you to walk in that faith community as well. So stand with me. And if you need to come forward and to pray about your life or your situation, the chancel is open. If you need to come and talk to us about your faith, come and talk to one of the pastors. We'll be glad to visit with you as we sing this closing hymn. Let us all be children of God.